The Ipocris File, Funeral in Berlin, Billion Dollar Brain, great Harry Palmer movies with Michael Caine. And today we have Rob Mallows with us who runs the DaytonDossier.net website and is a huge fan of Len Dayton, whose novels these movies are based on. This is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com. Please join us as we welcome our smartest spy in the room, Rob Mallows, as an intro to our upcoming Billion Dollar Brain podcast. So let's go. So, Rob, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to talk with you. Welcome, Rob. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dan and Tom. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, we're yeah. happy to have you. It's going to be So fun. why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing on the Dayton Dossier? Well, uh, the Dayton Dossier site exists because, first and foremost, I'm a, a collector of Len Dayton's books, and I'm a fan of them. And 13 years ago, uh, around about, uh, when I was looking on the internet for information, there wasn't much. So I thought, well, if there's nothing out, much out there about Len Dayton in these books, uh, I'd create a website. And since then, it's grown into the website, the blog, and a, a small but uh, friendly community on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, through it, I've met uh, a lot of interesting people from around the world, fans, spy movie fiction, spy movie fans, fiction fans. It's a great little community. Yeah, that's fun. Now, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you uh, about Billion Dollar Brain is that a lot of times Billion Dollar Brain is considered the lesser of the Michael Caine, Harry Palmer movies. When we see an adaptation from a book get this type of review, we often see a fairly large disparity between the book and the movie. However, we think in this case, we've heard that the movie very closely follows the novel. Can you talk, Rob, a little bit about some of the differences between the movie and Dayton's novel, Billion Dollar Brain? Yeah, I, I think you're, cor you're correct in the sense that the, the book and the film are pretty faithful, or the film is a pretty faithful reproduction of the book. There are some differences, but they're, they're not differences that would really uh, surprise you if you've read the book before you read the film. There are some very simple changes. Uh, for example, in the books, the character played by Carl Malden is called Harvey Newbegin. In the, book, in the film, uh, he's called Leo Newbegin. One thing I did notice when re-watching the film uh, again this week uh, for research is that if you look in the end credits at the end of the film, they've made a mistake in that they've spelt the character's name, surname as Newbegin, N-E-W-B-I-G-E-N. That's uh, uh, one for the trivia fans there. In terms of uh, similarly in the book, the female character is called Senior Lane. In the film, she's called Anya. And that's the character played by Francoise Dorliac, who sadly uh, died fairly soon after the shooting of this movie, which is rather sad. There's a few bits in the books that they don't film. There's quite a lot of a number of chapters devoted to Harry and Harvey or Leo interacting with other characters and agents from the Midwinter's Facts for Freedom organization. But on the whole, you're all right. It is a reasonably faithful film. So there's few surprises for a reader coming to this film fresh. Ah, okay. So what do you think the highlights of Billion Dollar Brain are as a movie? Well, I think one, one element that always stands out whenever I watch it is the soundtrack. It's by the British composer Richard Rodney Bennett. Particularly, the opening sequence uh, has uh, a sound which everyone assumes is like a theremin, but it's actually, I checked this afternoon, it's called an Andes Martineau. It's a French early electronic instrument, but it creates a sort of, it's a really, it's a sound that's suited to a cold, icy uh, Finnish lake uh, or Finnish um, countryside. Yeah. So I think that's actually one of the sort of strongest elements of the film. It's a, it has pace. Uh, there's also a lot of um, musical cues used by Ru uh, Ken Russell, like, uh, you know, they play 
when Harry Palmer meets up with Colonel Stock in the theatre, they're playing Shostakovich's Leningrad Symphony, things like that. So it's a very, as a soundtrack, it works, I think, in terms of creating a pace and the excitement in the film. Second I, thing, I'm actually I think, really surprised you say that wasn't a theremin. I just assumed it was. It's called Andes Martineau. It's sort of like a theremin. You play it in a similar way, but apparently it was invented in the 1920s. Uh, I had to look it up, so I'm sure. <laughs> don't, don't worry that you didn't know about it. <laughs> the, the second, I think, strong element of the film, I think, is the, the relationship, uh, on-screen relationship between Harry and the character, Harry Palmer and the character Anya. Yeah. Uh, it's, it comes across as much more passionate than perhaps his relationship with Jean, in the first movie, The Icarus Farm, yeah. and also with uh, Samantha Steele in Funeral Berlin. There's just a little more to it, I think. And as an actress, I think Francoise Doliac plays the character very well. She's a good sort of, um, she's the sort of um, the cream in the Oreo cookie between uh, Michael, Harry Palmer and, and Leo. Yeah, yeah. And then the third element, uh, which I always uh, find <laughs> interesting when I watch this film, is the scenes with the brain that, the supercomputer that's at the heart of the story. I mean, it was filmed with the uh, help of Honeywell computers. And at the time, the computers on display in the film were the sort of cutting edge of uh, computer technology. And as we look back sort of 50 or more years back, it's obviously has a sort of historical sort of quirkiness to it because the the brain probably has no more power than the average iPhone. Um, But actually it's a spectacle um, in terms of some of those scenes and obviously the the scene at the end with the uh, tankers uh, rushing across the ice in sort of Eisenstein style, yeah. actually that brings to mind, the sort of, that's the most Bond-type element in the three films. This is the one that's probably closest where you can see the sort of Bond, uh, um, fingerprints of Bond on this film. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely, especially towards the second half of the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, uh, we, we love the first two movies, and this one is different. And like you said, the, the computer being the main one of the main characters in the movie and, and being from the 60s is uh, is something that people watching today would have to wrestle with and think wow that's that's something because I think like you said an iPhone today has more power than than the computers they had on the Apollo 11 when they landed on the moon so mm. so yeah but being, being an old school computer guy myself I <laughs> love the punch cards I, they carried him through all three movies I love the fact they're there because that's how we worked with computers back then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Billion Dollar Brain, I, I think on your website you said something about the, how spies and what goes on in the real world with spies is sometimes there's a conflict between doing what's best for their country and doing their kind of personal kind of stuff that they want to do. And we've seen that in some of the Bond movies too where they go rogue and want to go do their own thing and so on. Could you just make a comment about that in terms of, of all of the Len Dayton uh, novels? That You're absolutely right. I think one of the things that uh, both, I think both in the films yeah. and in the books is uh, they are not easy. They are, um, they can be, certainly the books can be a little opaque. There are multiple plots going on mm-hmm. at any one time. So in this film, you have the, uh, the element of the, uh, the, 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 the eggs being transported containing a, a sort of virus, as you have the Michael Caine is now, you know, is he or isn't he actually working with yeah. um, Colonel Ross? Uh, you know, what's his status? Is he a private eye? Um, yeah. Or is he secretly, you know, is he undercover? Then you also have the, uh, the sort of subplot of Harvey, uh, uh, Leo in the film, Leo Newbegin, uh, effectively defrauding General Midwinter. Yeah. 
and and also you have Harry's relationship with Colonel Stogg. So you put all these elements on uh, in front of you, and there's a lot of pieces to piece together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a sort of film, like I think the other two as well. It warrants a couple of readings or a couple of watches, watches rather, because there's a lot going on, and it's not always. Uh, the exposition is not always easy to follow, but perhaps that's part of the charm of the films is that you make your work as a, as a viewer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think you're right, and especially with the Billion Dollar Brain, you, you can get confused as to who's doing mm. what and for whom, and virtually any part in the movie you're, think, you're asking yourself that, so that's, that's pretty good. All right, if we move on to some of the, the movies that were made for TV, Midnight in St. Petersburg and Bullet to Beijing, what do you think of those, Rob? The simple answer is not a lot. <laughs> uh, You're not alone. Yeah. Okay, uh, it good. won't come as it won't come as a surprise. I'm sure you've watched them at some point. They they were clearly, and it shows they were made for TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were made on a relatively shoestring budget. They were made in uh, the former Soviet Union with largely Russian crews and Russian actors. Although there was a sprinkling of British talent in there. The second film in particular, Midnight in St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm is not wholly, but there are large parts of that which do seem to suggest, as the apocryphal story goes, that large parts of them were sweepings from the cutting room floor. (laughs) They have, I mean, you know, they've got Michael Caine in them as Harry Palmer, so there is a certain sort of, uh, a certain, uh, a joy joy in seeing sort of this great character, you know, in reduced circumstances, wearing anorak rather than the sort of a, a, a Savile Row suit. And yeah, it has its moments. Well, both of them have their moments, and it's interesting. But you know, as a if you talk labyrinthine, unclear plots, both of them <laughs> at the end of each film, you wonder what on earth have I seen? But you know, they're part they're part of the canon. They have. I don't really treat them as sort of proper Harry Palmer films. They're adjuncts. They're sort of uh, yeah. they are extensions that were added onto a rather nice house, which you've suddenly regretted later on. That sort of thing. <laughs> Okay, so then let's add one more movie into this discussion on that then. Mm. If we've got these two that were definitely made for TV, there was a movie based on the book Spy Story. So now it's not technically a Harry Palmer movie, but should it be considered one? Well, uh, yeah, that's made in the mid-70s. It's a British-made film. It's a reasonable film. Uh, but again, compared with the quality of the first three um, there's no real, there's no real competition, but it's certainly better than the uh, the two Harry Potter, Harry Palmer retreads. The director Lindsay Shontef, uh, he's really a, he was a B movie, a schlock movie director, and it shows. There are some good fun elements, uh, but the character of Patrick Armstrong in the films, who I suppose you can regard as a a second cousin of Harry Palmer, if you will, because there's obviously some characters and some crossover between the first five novels. His character on film certainly is rather weak, and the supporting cast doesn't really do much to make the film stand out. Okay, All right. that's not a, that's not a ringing endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> a slight endorsement, if anything. Yeah. Okay. All right. So for for television now, right now, what's going on in London? I believe they're filming in London and Croatia. ITV is producing a television series based on the Ipcris file, and one of the producers is Harry Saltzman's son, Stephen Saltzman. So Harry Saltzman, of course, is one of the co-producers of the James Bond movies, the first nine of them. And so what do you what do you think of that? Have you heard anything about that being right there in London? Any rumors? Any kind of 
any scenes you've seen them shoot or anything? Uh, well, first off, yeah, I am pretty positive about it so far. First off, actually, uh, they are filming in the UK, but they're actually filming in Liverpool in the northwest, oh, yeah, right, which right, is right. standing in standing in for uh, London. I have seen uh, through the Facebook uh, Dayton Dossier group, people have been sharing photographs from local newspapers in the Northwest. They've apparently just completed the filming in Liverpool, standing in for London. And from what I can see, it looks pretty impressive so far. They, they are the main actor playing Harry Palmer, whose name escapes me at the moment. His look is clearly, you can tell the, that the producers have tried to create a dotted line back to Harry Palmer's character. I mean, yeah. he wears glass, uh, horn-rimmed glasses and he has a, a, a sort of a, a, a gentleman's jacket on, you know? He looks suave and sophisticated, uh, as Harry Palmer does in the, in the other films. The, the, the sets in Liverpool, look they've clearly gone for the painstaking approach to set design in terms of trying to recreate 60s London. From what we can see, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty faithful. The reason I'm positive... Uh, about uh, the potential for this series in the same way I was uh, positive about the BBC filming uh, miniseries of SSGB, which was filmed about five years ago. The reason I'm positive uh, are two reasons. One is uh, If File, the movie, is about an hour and a half, hour and three quarters long. You can get a lot done in that time. But as we've discussed earlier, the book, If File, is a pretty, uh, it's a complex novel. You have to read around it. You have to read and flip back pages, etc. There's a lot going on, a lot of characters, a lot of nuance. So I'm hopeful that I think it's a five or six episode series. So potentially about sort of uh, five to six hours long. Within that time, they can do much more in fleshing out the characters, particularly uh, in fleshing out uh, the best parts of the book, which don't always come across, although they certainly do in the first film. The repartee between Harry Palmer and his superiors in WOOCP, those in, in all, three, uh, all three of the main books, those are the, the best bits for a reader. And indeed in the films, the, the scenes with Colonel Ross and yeah. uh, Major Dalby and Harry, the sort of upper working class sort of uh, uh, ne'er-do-well uh, turned secret agent, those are always the best bits. So I'm confident that this, from early signs, as far as I can see, that this will... Should do the book justice, I think. Yeah, it's Joe Cole, I think, is the guy you were thinking yeah, of, right? Yeah, it's Joe Cole. That's right, yeah, because he's also the name of a footballer. That now yeah. <laughs> that's reminded me, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, we're excited about it, too. We're, we're going to be working with uh, with them in the fall in terms of interviewing some of the people involved in the production and uh, shooting of the film and some of the actors as well. So that's going to be fun. So I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you have a positive impression. It seems like it's getting good press, and uh, mm-hmm. everything we've seen, too, has been positive. So that's pretty nice. Yeah. Now there's one thing in the, in the book that I really liked that isn't in the first movie and I'm hoping they bring it to the to TV, but I'm not sure they're going to do that in this series. And that's the whole scene on the Island where they're, you know, where, you know, I can just picture him up in that tower that, that in the book they talk about, and there's a scene with him and Barney and I, I could just totally see that with somebody like a Vin Rings or somebody like, that playing Barney, and I just think that would be just so cool to see on the screen. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That, that's the, the big missing element in the in the original film. I don't know. I mean, they can do a lot with green screen, of course, and computer uh, 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 computer sort of uh, backgrounds. So maybe they will. I don't know about that. But yeah, that's the that's the one element that sort of brings 
it just adds a bit more depth to the to the original novel. Yeah. Yeah. And when I read it, that was where my you know my mind when you're reading and you, you get the, all the visuals in your mind as you're th- thinking yeah. through it. Now maybe I got more visual when I was reading that because I hadn't seen that part in the movie, so mm. I didn't have anything to draw off of. But uh, it just I, I just hope they get there. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, one thing um, for if if you come to the if you if you read the books having read having watched the films first, it is very difficult to unsee the films in the sense of to not imagine Harry Palmer as Michael Caine. Yeah. And indeed, that's I watched, certainly watched the films years ago before actually reading the book. So, but either way, as I say, I think that the, the strength of the character, of, of the main character of Harry Palmer or the unnamed spy in the books, that's really what drives both the books and the films. Sure. You think any of the other novels should be made into a movie? Well, the uh, the obvious gap in the movies in the Harry Palmer franchise is the second book written by Len Dayton called Horse Underwater. There were, back in the 60s, I believe, some preliminary uh, sort of plans to produce that as part of the sequence. But obviously, after the third film, Michael Caine uh, hung up his glasses, so to speak, and I think thereafter, the opportunity for the filming that uh, uh, obviously disappeared. It's a, I think it's intriguing because of, I mean, it has some great elements. It has some Bond elements. It has underwater action. It has uh, divers. It has uh, a huge, great submarine. It has heroin. Uh, has beaches. Beautiful women. You know, it has all the good elements. Yeah. I think perhaps the one thing that maybe might make it uh, difficult to film is it is of the four novels the most labyrinthine plots. I mean, I've read the books many times and I get lost sometimes reading them. But it has, you know, it has all the elements of a good film, whether it makes a good film. Well, you know, producers are always looking out for good stories, so who knows? Oh, maybe if the TV series is successful, they'll add one of those in. Yeah. That's very much my thought, because I think, as you say, if the film series is a success, mm-hmm. they've got sure plenty to work with. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, they'll continue. <laughs> right. It, they <clears throat> should. All right. Anything else, Rob? Um, any... Well, no, I think, as I say, um, it, it, I watched the film uh, Brilliant Dollar Brain again this week for, for research purposes, just to refresh myself. And Billion Dollar, I mean, I would say this, but Billion Dollar Brain, Funeral in Berlin, Nick Crestfile, rather like the Bond movies. They're movies that, when you put them in the sort of DVD player or you put them in your iPad, it's like putting on a pair of comfortable shoes. You know what's <laughs> going to happen. You're familiar with the story. There are no surprises, but it's a great watch. That's the main thing. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, Rob. Hey, thank you very much. This has been a great discussion in both setting up where we're going with the Billion Dollar Brain, and it also enlightens us as to where you think things should go with Dayton's books being turned into movies. This has been fun. Yeah, thank you, Rob. Yeah, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Thanks very much, gents. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure having you here. That wraps up our discussion with Rob Mallows from the Dayton Dossier. For you Len Dayton fans, it's the place to find out more about your favorite author. This has been Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, too. Subscribe to our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, right now through your favorite podcast app and on YouTube as well. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. <laughs>